AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hey everybody, welcome to Movie Crush. Charles W. Chuck Bryant here, our home studio, Pond City Market, Atlanta. And uh, I had a great conversation this week with John Convertino, uh, my first drummer, a drummer for one of my favorite bands, Calexico. I've been a big fan of these dudes for a long time, kind of since the beginning. And if you do not know Calexico, then you should. They've been around for uh, quite a while now, and have a great body of work. And, and I talked to John a little bit about this at the beginning, but um, go check out any Calexico album. I mean, Carried to Dust about eight years ago was a wonderful album. One of their first ones, The Black Light, classic, classic album. Uh, their more recent ones, uh, Algiers, uh, Edge of the Sun is wonderful. Feast of Wire, my God, what a classic. And then their new album out this year, The Thread That Keeps Us, is a really, really good record, um, like all Calexico albums. You can't go wrong. Give it a try if you've never listened to it. Calexico, if I were to describe them, um, they've been called Desert Noir, uh, which is an interesting way to put it. Uh, they are, um, they incorporate the sounds of uh, of the world, they, mainly um, south of the border of Mexico. They have uh, trumpets, they have uh, accordion, um, but it's all based around the, 
the songwriting of uh, John Convertino and, and lead singer and guitar player Joey Burns, who are the co-founders of the band and uh, kind of worked with different dudes over the years. But um, they've had a solid band in place for a while now. Um, and it's a very uh, international band. I think their lead guitar player is uh, from Spain. One of their trumpet players is German. Uh, they have another trumpet player uh, from Mexico. And uh, it's just a really, like I told them after the show, the crowd that leaves a Calexico show is not the crowd that shows up at a Calexico show. They get a crowd going like no band I've ever seen. So uh, really, really good stuff. Check it out. Uh, John picked the movie Rumblefish, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's uh, classic follow-up to The Outsiders, uh, what he called an art film for teenagers. And um, we had a really great conversation about uh, life and music and and the career that he's had, as well as how movies has, have figured in. They've done some scoring and soundtrack work, so it's kind of cool to get uh, that perspective. He's a big movie fan, big Francis Ford Coppola fan, and it turns out he's a really nice guy because I don't know him at all, and he came in here from uh, being on the road all night overnight from New Orleans after a really late night jamming with the Preservation Hall Jazz Band. Tells me that story. That's off the charts. And a big thanks to Martin, Laura, and Michelle from their team for helping to put this together. Um, John couldn't have been a nicer guy. And uh, I ended up going to the show that night as well. So uh, I'll uh, cover a bit of that in the outro. But here we go with John Combertino of Calexico on Rumblefish. Well, I'm glad you came in, man. I've been such a fan for so long. Uh, since the very beginning, I've been on the on the Calexico train. Oh, thank you. So uh, it's just really cool to see that you guys are still at it. And like, I was thinking last night, I was listening to the new record, which I'd like to talk a little bit about too. Um, okay. This isn't just about movies, but um, mm-hmm. like you're at the point in your career now where like you have a body of work mm-hmm. and that phrase has some weight to it mm-hmm. when you really think about it because mm-hmm. um, you know I went to search through like what to play uh, and there, there's a lot to choose from now it's not mm. it's not an easy decision like it was in the mid 90s or the late 90s right. it's like oh well, I'll play you know I'll play this one or that one right uh, so it's just I wonder what that feels like to to have a bit of a perspective on that now well I think for the new record um, I went back and listened to the black light, uh, because it's coming Such on its, great album. uh, 20th anniversary. Oh my God. That's so crazy. 20 years ago. <laughs> and it was really fun to listen to it because I mm-hmm. think when you have 20 years, you know, um, space mm-hmm. between the time you did it and the time you're listening to it, um, it almost feels like someone else had done it. Yeah. You know what I, I mean, in, in a way, uh-huh. and I could be more, uh, objective right just like like almost reading a book for the first time or something i could listen to it for the first time and with those kinds of ears and and i have to say i really enjoyed it (laughs) i really did i was like wow i like the the way the the lyrics tell a story Uh and it's also musically really telling a story yeah and um and i think it relates somewhat to what we're going to talk about later with with Rumblefish and right. that it's has that kind of black and white feel to it, mm-hmm. that kind of noir, um, uh, kind of, I hate to, I mean, using the word classic is makes it like I'm blowing my own horn, but it, it does, there's something about it that says this is still okay. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's not dated. 
in no. that way. There is a timeless, and you guys always yeah. have had a uh, very cinematic quality mm-hmm. um, to your music. So it it's, comes as no surprise, probably uh, for the listeners, that you guys have done music scores and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah, the song Frontera um, was originally, you know, uh, it's just a, it's an instrumental, but we've been playing it for years now mm-hmm. with this other song Trigger on top of it. Yeah. Um, Joey singing the lyrics of Trigger on top of Frontera. So it was really refreshing to hear Frontera again as mm-hmm. a complete and total instrumental. Yeah. And uh, just stuff like that. And I always appreciate that you guys still do instrumentals. Yeah. Um, it's very cool. Yeah. And I think, too, just having all those songs to choose from, it it makes for tu- touring is really just as interesting mm-hmm. as it always has been because we can always pull this old song out yeah that we've maybe never played yeah that's probably pretty neat and um like slag off of our very first record spoke Uh uh-huh um we never played it live before are you doing that now and we've been doing it yeah we've been doing it over in over in europe and um yeah just little things like that it's it's great to pull those yeah songs out that you would never think that you would play live and well that's give them cool a try. for you guys i'm sure but it's uh that's the shit that fans love yeah i think like, so because huh? Colexico fans go deep i imagine mm-hmm. uh, like i do and when you hear those deep cuts like that as mm-hmm. a fan it's, it's like that's the special stuff well, i mean i don't want to hear the hits of course yeah uh, but you know you, you don't li- it's not like you're not one of those bands that you bought the a single of or right, whatever right you know they're complete albums they always had it felt like they had a, a through line yeah it's funny how that song Huero Canelo kind of turned into a hit and it was just a total throw off on the record oh really yeah just like just kind of piecing together these yeah. this groove and Joey just kind of semi-rapping over and super distorted vo- vocal uh-huh but it just turned into this kind of monster song at the end of the night that we kind of can't not play anymore yeah. you know it's, it's just so much fun you sure. know it's just yeah and everyone did you guys leaves. license that or uh yeah we did i think like i've heard it before in something yeah and collateral the movie okay. collateral yeah that's right yeah and we are we're actually in the movie oh really yeah for about two seconds it took took three days of shooting i don't uh, remember were you the house band or something the house band yeah when uh jamie fox is walking into the the bar in LA. Oh yeah. And that's when the song Vero Canelo is being played. Uh-huh. And you can see us in the background for a little bit. Uh-huh. And then supposedly during the dialogue scene mm-hmm. while they're in the club, he, the director, Michael Mann had us playing while they were doing the dialogue. So we were having to pantomime uh, yeah. and the dancers had to dance with their shoes off. Yeah. Everything had to be totally silent. <laughs> no, it's always so weird. Just in case you could see mm-hmm. us in the reflection. Right. In one of the mirrors wow. or something in the club. That's uh, how like yeah. precise that that guy is. Yeah, He's, that's funny. Yeah. And it, you know, they were like long takes, probably yeah, twelve sure hour either. takes. Yeah. You know, that's no fun. Twelve hour days. For a band, because you're probably not used to that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. A little bit on music videos. It was but... kind of fun. It was fun to meet Jamie Foxx and Yeah. And it was fun to be on a Hollywood set. Uh-huh. But it, it did get a little grueling there after a while. It felt more for the dancers that had to look like they were having a great time right. dancing and the cameras in the next room. Uh-huh. You're like, is this really <laughs> that important? Um, what about working um, with Todd Haynes? Oh, man. On I'm Not There. I mean, it was such a great movie and he's yeah. one of my favorite filmmakers. And what was that process like? Well, he was super nice, like like 
like a brother. Oh, as really? soon as he met us, he was just like, ah, oh, you know, he's like a fan. He was uh-huh. super enthusiastic. And, uh, and he just, he loved the way the song turned out. Yeah. And it was the first, uh, second day of shooting. Mm-hmm. And I guess the first day they had a pretty major disaster. Uh, Richard Gere was on a horse and the horse took off through the woods with him on it. Oh, no. <laughs> Something tells me Richard Gere is not a skilled uh, Well, rider. you know, it's not always, I mean, I think he is a pretty good writer, but sometimes a horse will just. Yeah, they have their own ideas. Sometimes. Uh-huh. And uh, so he was a little shaken by that. Oh, wow. But, um, but it was a really, really cool scene. Yeah. And um, an amazing uh, project to be a part of. Yeah, working with Jim James, of course, for that the listeners. That was great. And just, I mean, we worked on a lot of songs for the uh, movie that didn't get in the movie. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Willie Nelson and um, Serge Gainsbourg, Charlotte Gainsbourg. Yeah. You know, just, and they they weren't all, you know, in the same room with us mm-hmm. a lot of times we were doing um transferring files but still you know to to lay down a basic track and and hear um I'm trying to think of his name from the from the birds um roger mcguinn yeah i'm roger mcguinn yeah singing over a track that we that's did. pretty cool it's, it's pretty cool yeah well and you guys are, are known i think for uh collaborating mm-hmm. uh on your records and on, yeah. on other people's records and I guess once you sort of get that reputation, that's um, it's, it's a cool thing. You know, the phone probably brings a lot. I imagine. Well, you know, it, it's interesting. It's kind of they they always kind of work out. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like a ton of calls, um, which I don't think we could handle because we're on the road a lot. Yeah, but it seems like they've been spaced out enough to where we've been able to to do these things. Yeah, that's it's been be really really fortunate for us. Yeah, um, because as you know, it's harder to sell records mm-hmm. and CDs these days. Right. So if you can get soundtrack work, yeah, it's nice work if you can get it. Yeah, I'm sure. sure. I think a lot of people are kind of trying to get that more mm-hmm. because it is good exposure. Yeah. But more than that, it's just a lot of fun to do, you know, because you have, you have a certain direction, mm-hmm. you know, um, you have a scene to write to. Yeah, that's got to be a different kind of songwriting uh scenario for you guys absolutely yeah one of my favorite um soundtracks is uh or favorite scores i guess uh was uh, neil young's dead man score yeah uh, for the great jim jarmusch movie yeah i put that one on the other day and it had been quite a few years since i'd listened to it i wore it out at the time mm-hmm. so i took a out west trip with a friend in the van for two months and it was yeah. kind of right when that came out nice so that was you know that was kind of our soundtrack of our trip that's great but uh something's so simple, you know, just that one sort of lick he does on the on the guitar. I know. Was all he needed yeah. to really fill that thing out. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, that's that's the beauty of it, keeping it simple. Mm-hmm. And um Yeah, that's uh I mean, I love Jim Jarmusch and once again, you know, you have black and white. Mm-hmm. He films in black and white a lot and and that's what I loved about Rumblefish too. You know, it just yeah, that timeless quality. Yeah, Rumble. Well, we can we can go ahead and get into Rumblefish some. Although uh, we'll dance around with some other questions. Yeah, later. absolutely. Um, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, of course, nineteen eighty three. His second um, 
film adaptation of an S.E. Hinton, uh, I guess, I don't even know, they called them young adult novels back then. Mm -hmm. Maybe they did, but that's what you would call it now. Yeah. But he shot it right after The Outsiders, mm -hmm. kind of on the heels of that, mm -hmm. and um, kept that black and white, but it's still uh, set in the 80s, mm -hmm. which is hard to sort of wrap your head around at first right. when you see the first uh, 80s car go by. Yeah. Or there's the one scene where they're playing Pac-Man. Yeah. Because yeah. it very much feels like a like a you know 50s or 60s movie. Right. Right. And it's sort of a weird sleight of hand he played there. I, I love that. Yeah. I really do. And because now, 20 years later, once again, mm. or 30 years later, <laughs> excuse me, that, yeah. I was 20 years old when I watched it. That's right. That's where I got that. So, um, yeah. So you see that and you see how different the world looked mm -hmm. even in the 80s. Yeah. From now. And you have a Tulsa connection, right? Absolutely. That was... I think that's probably the main reason why I, I chose the movies because we had just played in Tulsa, uh -huh. and uh, the gig was at Canes. No, it wasn't at Canes. We've had play, we have played there before, but growing up in Tulsa, I would hear about the Canes, like a lot of the the bigger punk rock bands were coming through at the time. Um, you know, the Talking Heads, for example, in the uh -huh. late seventies, and. Um, I remember even hearing that The Clash played there and wanting to go, but, you know, being underage, I couldn't. Right. Um, so you lived in Tulsa? Lived in Tulsa, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And um, I actually had a lot of freedom there because mm -hmm. um, my parents divorced. I was the youngest. I was the only one who stayed with my dad who mm -hmm. stayed in Tulsa. And uh, he's a, he was a musician. What did he do? He was a pianist. And he also worked at a music store, so he'd work all day at this music store, uh -huh. and he'd come home, we'd have dinner together, and then he'd go out and play at the Summit Club mm -hmm. in Tulsa, which was on the top of, I think, it's one of the big banks' buildings. It's this right. really swank club up there, mm -hmm. run by these Italian guys. And, and um, Are you Italian? Yeah, my father was first generation. Oh, cool. And... uh. So, you know, he would leave me that, at home alone. Uh -huh. You know, I'm like 10 years old, 11 wow. years old. Yeah. <laughs> you know, until I was like What you could 14. do in the, in the 70s and 80s without being, you know, arrested. <laughs> oh, I know. It's just like as soon as he'd leave. And that's how I think I was really relating to those characters in Rumblefish because uh -huh. they were just so unsupervised, you know. Yeah. Not that my dad was a drunk, like this right. Hopper character, but... He just wasn't there. Uh -huh. So I just could invite my friends over and we'd get into trouble. You right. know, we'd, we'd give the homeless guy in the station wagon four extra bucks to get us a fifth of Jack Daniels. And, uh -huh. <laughs> you know, get drunk and smoke cigarettes and think we're really tough. Right. And uh, so I really related to that. And, uh -huh. not, and not only that, but, oh, I know that street. Mm -hmm. I know that building. Yeah. You know, and, um, and it even goes deeper than that. As I got older, uh, I was in a band with my older brother and uh -huh. two sisters, uh -huh. and we traveled the country playing bars. Really? Yeah. Um, what did everyone play? How did that break down? So my sister played keyboards, Charisse and Celeste sang and played some guitar. My brother played guitar and sang. And you played drums, obviously. And I played drums. Were you called then, the Convertinos? No, <laughs> no. We had a few different names, uh, pretty Pretty funny names, pretty uh -huh. embarrassing. 
But uh, give me one. Well, the very <laughs> first one, which is really hilarious, it was uh, August. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, and then the second one was Little Brother. That's not bad either. And then uh, the final formation was Stand Clear. Well, yeah, that was a little corny. <laughs> <laughs> so in the final formation, Stand Clear, we had uh, written some songs. We We'd spent a year up in Alaska mm-hmm. playing this bar called Chilku Charlie's. And we had a batch of songs, and the, the goal was to record the songs, move to L.A., and get a record deal. How old are you at this point? I'm 23. Okay. So this is a few years after Rumblefish. Mm-hmm. Still a huge police fan and Stuart Copeland fan. Yeah. And um, we um, hook up with this this uh, music professor who taught both my my brother mm-hmm. and my sister. He was a cellist, and um, he was going to produce our songs, our demo. And we were going to record them at Long Branch Studios in Tulsa. Oh, cool. Where Stuart Copeland did Rumblefish. Oh, so he actually recorded there? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we get there at Long Branch Studios, and and the, the engineer's like, so here's the drum booth. And I look at it and it's like, everything's, all the surfaces are shiny. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, Stuart Copeland played here. And, and uh, he was like, yeah, he wanted it to be really live. He wanted this, the drum sound to be really live. Uh-huh. So instead of like here in the studio, you have all this, this foam yeah, to, yeah. to deaden the sound. Uh-huh. Copeland wanted the opposite. He wanted it all shiny and have the sound bounce around. Huh. So what does that do? So that makes this kind of... Well, if you hear on uh, the song Don't Box Me In, mm-hmm. you can, when he hits like a tom-tom, it sounds kind of boxy, but there's all this reverb. Yeah. It's not reverb. That's the actual room. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it just makes for a great sound. And, yeah. And if you listen to our records, I'm not playing like Stuart Copeland. Uh-huh. I mean, you you can't. Right. As soon as you do, people go, hey, you sound like Stuart Copeland. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was so signature. Sure. <laughs> but I did... Love that sound mm-hmm. of the room, you know, the open sound. Yeah. No, no tape or, or uh, pieces of cloth over the drums, just wide open and mm-hmm. ringing. And, and um, so I would use brushes and, and, and get that effect. Mm-hmm. And you can really hear it on the black light, especially. We were recording in a, in a giant warehouse right next to the railroad tracks mm-hmm. in Tucson. But I just thought that was really, I mean, yeah, it's really special that I got to actually be in the same drum booth that he was, and he was definitely one of my heroes. Sure. And uh, what happened with the family band? What did you guys? Uh... So we did. We finished the demo. Um, you know, we were super green and really didn't know what we were doing. Didn't have much of a plan once we got to L.A. Mm-hmm. Um, but we managed to find uh, a place to to live. Nobody would rent to musicians oh really because really that's when we when we were trying to get uh apartments they'd say well what do you what do you do and we'd say well we're musicians we've mm-hmm. been on the road for <laughs> that. that's what we do they just look at us and laugh oh yeah okay well good luck with that <laughs> yeah next <laughs> and uh but we finally found this great apartment building um right in hollywood mm-hmm. these uh landlords were were greek and yugoslavian couple and very family oriented, and mm-hmm. they just thought it was great that we were oh, a family. That's cool. 
that played music together. Yeah. I just thought that was so sweet. And there, of course, you know, you will we'll rent you a room. And, and um, yeah, the rest is history after that. I met Hal Gelb there from yeah. Giant Sand. Uh-huh. He moved into the same apartment building. He had just had a baby. Wow, that's serendipity. Yeah, and um, he was looking for a drummer. Mm-hmm. So that set that whole course. Which And that's where you met Joey too, right? Right. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and then when did... Um, Two, so, well, are your siblings still in music, by the way? Um, they, they're they not professionally, but, uh-huh. you know, I think once you're, once you play music, it's yeah. just, it's always there. And yeah, they're great singers and, and, and they write some songs and my uh, brother and sister still live in Nashville. They moved uh-huh. to Nashville. And, um. Great town. And um, the sister who played keyboards still lives in Tulsa, so. So you just saw her. Just saw her. Yeah, and she has a this? son. Uh, her, my nephew, who's a drummer. I just saw him, and um, it's just once again. I was just reminded of that mm-hmm. that feeling of being a youth, you know, yeah. in a in a city like that, in a town like that, where you know it's not famous, or you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's just it's this blank slate really yeah. it is what you make it and um does he think uncle john's the coolest he's pretty pretty sweet kid. yeah <laughs> he actually sold me in one of his symbols i needed a symbol oh no way <laughs> yeah that's funny and uh i was like i was gonna just gonna borrow it for the night mm-hmm. and then i was like you know what i really need it and he's like oh i'll sell it to you and <laughs> i was like that's that'd be great and now i can always think of you every time I smash it. Uh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. That's really great. Yeah, that's really sweet. I have, I'm in an old man band. I got in my first band when I was 38 years old. Wow. It's just me and my buddies from, from college and stuff all ended up living near each other. And uh, we don't write music at it or we just play cover songs. But it's just the most fun thing we do, oh. you know, is once a month. That's and so we, cool. we cover Sunken Walls, by the way. Oh, nice. <laughs> it was that's, one of the first ones we learned. That is one. That's a... Like one of our standards, you know, that we yeah, it's a great song. Can always just pop that one out. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. 
As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Yeah, and I think when I when I see you guys live, I mean, you have such a, um, you make it look easy. You have such a relaxed style that uh, you don't seem like you're working hard, but yeah. I know that's a, an illusion. Yeah. Um, and your songs always, and you back there, maybe it's just your style, but they just have such a great swing to them. Well, thank you. Yeah, well, speaking of swing, I was in, in the hot seat of swing last night at that preservation hall. Yeah, so for those of you listening, uh, John came in, had a late night jam with the preservation hall jazz band in mm. New Orleans. And was that at the same venue, or did yeah. you go somewhere? Uh, we went to the preservation hall. Oh, so you the, played there. Right there in the French Quarter. And did they just come up afterward, or did they were they there for uh, the show? So they had done a set, like one of their normal sets that uh-huh. they do for, you know, the tourists or whatever, where people are sitting, you know, they're sitting in there, it's super quiet, uh-huh. super acoustic. And that's one of the most beautiful things about the Preservation Hall is that mm. they'll play a set with no microphones at all. Oh, cool. So the guy's like singing just into the room. Uh-huh. And um, so they were doing one of those sets where the crowd were making requests, you know, and it's like if you request uh, when the saints come in marching in uh-huh. you have to pay 20 bucks <laughs> uh, other requests are five mm-hmm. you know uh, i think standards or traditional songs are 10 gotcha but the saints is 20 that's is that the max that's the max yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sign's been up there for a long time and it's steadily gone you know the prices have gone uh-huh. bigger and bigger Good. but um yeah but uh so they finished that set and then we had a couple of hours just to hang out with them mm-hmm. in the back room and just kind of show them a few of our songs. Yeah. And they showed us a, a few of their songs. And, so much uh, fun, I bet. It was really cool. Was How'd you really, do? We did, I think we did pretty good. Uh-huh. That's got to be a little nerve-wracking. It's, yeah. Um, we got a couple of really great soloists. Actually, mm-hmm. our bass player played an amazing solo. And um, our guitar player from Madrid, Spain, Jairo, mm-hmm. played a couple of great guitar solos. And um, Jacob Valenzuela, he's got some jazz roots. Mm-hmm. And um, it was really, really special hearing him yeah. play with those guys. I mean, he really held his own. And then when we were all playing together, uh, Sergio Mendoza played this amazing, you know, kind of Latin-based piano solo. That mm-hmm. I could see those guys that perked their ears. They were like, whoa. Really? Yeah, they were like, you know. And he kind of threw some Ellington Ellingtonian kind of chords in uh-huh. there, and they totally picked up on that. Wow, that's got some great. nice big smiles. So cool, and it then, must be fun at, at this point too, just to do that. You know? Oh, I mean, it was. I'm a huge jazz fan. Yeah, but I've never had the talent to play it, or never have had like the opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, to to play it. It's just that's the kind of thing where you have to do every night for hours and hours and hours. Right. Jam sessions like that mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. For hours. And where that kind of polyrhythmic swinging stuff is just flowing out of you like water. Uh-huh. And uh, I have that flowing out of me like water, but it's something more simple like Sung and Waltz or, right. you know, it's, it's a more simple, it's a simplified version, you know. Uh-huh. And I like to leave a lot more space in my drumming. Right. And um, 
Yeah, that's it's a, it's a different thing. And I was doing that last night, uh-huh. and at times I was like, "Is this really working?" And and I guess it just has to work because this is the way I play. And, mm-hmm. and the trombone player, I was right when I was thinking that he was playing a solo, the trombone player from the hall. He turns around and looks at me, and he's like, "It's my turn." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "Oh, I don't do drum solos, you know." <laughs> But, you know, I had to. It's yeah. just like. What do you do? Yeah. So I I went for it. And man, it was, like I said, it was a hot seat. That's pretty cool. But I found my way, you know, Bill Bruford, drummer for Yes, he always said, when in doubt, roll. Uh-huh. And uh, so I was in doubt. So I just started doing this press roll. Uh-huh. And there's a lot to a press roll. Yeah. You know, it seems like a simple thing, you know, but it's it's a li- it's a lifetime achievement. Really? Yeah. A really good press roll that can go from, from press to single stroke, mm-hmm. back and forth. That's a lifetime achievement. And, um, Did you nail it? I nailed it. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. I don't know where moment. it came from, but it, it came out, and uh, so it was a lot of fun. Well, now, as a touring musician, then, that's a great time to ask this. How do you, how do you get up for Atlanta? Mm-hmm. Well... We all like to think we're special in each city. Yeah. But after something like that, I mean, it's a letdown, right? No, (laughs) it really isn't. I mean, yeah, especially Atlanta, because I feel like there's diversity in the city, you know, and um, again, I love that about Rumblefish. Yeah. That, you know, Rusty James, I want to, I want to go across the river. Yeah. Oh, that whole scene. Yeah. I want to go, you know, to the other part of the bad part or whatever part of town. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, obviously there's a lot more color yeah. to that part of town and a lot more happening. Yeah. And um, I just thought that was a great scene, too. I kind of forgotten that, actually, yeah. the first time I, as a kid watching it. But I just thought that was great that, you know, Coppola threw, threw that in there. And he spent a lot of time there, too. That was yeah. a good middle chunk of that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. For those of you listening, if you haven't seen it, the movie... Um, is about Rusty James, and you can't forget because they say that name a lot, you know, a hundred times. Um, who is who is Matt Dillon's character as a teenager? Uh, we learned that his well, we thought his mother had passed away, probably, mm-hmm. but we learned later that she is alive and just had left them. Mm-hmm. Drunk father that's not around, and this legend of an older brother, mm-hmm. uh, the motorcycle boy, who is Mickey Rourke's character, who we never know what his real name is. Yeah, and we never really know why he's such a legend. Yeah, I mean... Like, you get the feeling there was an incident, because that cop hates his guts. Right. But we don't really know. We just know he's left town mm-hmm. as a legend among all the communities, because when they're in the black community, in yeah. the pool hall, those guys are like, yeah, your brother's... Yeah. Like, he's the shit. Yeah. He's the prince. He's a prince. Yeah, he's a prince. And he, you know, Matt Dillon wants to be him, but he's, you know, he's, for lack of a better word, he's not super smart. Right. And everyone reminds him of that. Yeah. Uh, and it's very much a movie about not even sibling rivalry, but more like sibling uh, idolization. Yeah. Sort Admiration. of. Admiration. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I was thinking about it this morning when, you know, because Matt Dillon, you know, he's such a hunk. He's like yeah. known as this really pretty boy mm-hmm. actor, Hollywood actor. But he really is a good actor. Yeah. And, and those moments where he's confused, mm-hmm. like where he feels like he's being outsmarted by his brother and even his dad. Mm-hmm. 
and they talk about the Greek. Yeah. Yeah. What are they, what were they talking about? Yeah. So I was thinking about that and I was like, well, that's the tragedy, you know? Okay. Like a Greek tragedy uh -huh. is, is when, um, you know, you have the wisdom or you have the power, mm -hmm. but you don't know how to use it. Yeah. And I think that's what Matt Dillon, what Rusty James, the, the father and the brother are looking at him like, you have the power. Uh -huh. You have this, this good looks or this strength. You may not have wisdom, right. wisdom, but you, uh, you have the power. And the tragedy is, is you're not, you're not seeing what it is. Yeah. You're, you don't know how to use it. Yeah. And it's kind of tragic too, because he kept saying, you know, I might look like him one day. Yeah. Oh, you're like, man, you're, you look how you look. <laughs> you're right. Brother, you are Use that. 17 or 18 years old. You're yeah. not going to, you're not going to look like your brother. That's what well, they said. He was old. He was 21, which right. is kind of a funny part of that movie. I know. But he, uh, he does look a lot older. Yeah. He, he, and he comes across as older too. Yeah. But, um, but then when you, as an adult watching this movie, like I saw it when I was younger, uh, -huh. uh but now that I'm in my late forties, uh -huh. I watch it. And you don't see Motorcycle Boy as anyone who was going anywhere. Right. Or worth anything. Right. So uh, in that case, the cop was really right. Oh, God, it's hard to admit, though, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but what you do see is uh, Motorcycle Boy as being sensitive. Sure. And, and that's what, uh, again, that's the, uh, that's the tragedy that he loses his life when he could have you know, he could have used that to help his brother. Yeah. And even his dad, you know. And I think his dad was recognizing, oh, yeah, he's, he feels too much. Mm -hmm. He's like this raw nerve. And he has, to, he feels so much that he has to, he has to have these blockers. Mm -hmm. Whether it's that he's colorblind or that he can't hear sometimes. Yeah. It's That's like an interesting uh, character thing. I yeah. Think. And, that's where Mickey Rourke is so brilliant because it's all in his eyes. Mm -hmm. He's got these big eyes that are just like rolling around and, and looking up inside of his head. You know, what's he thinking about? Yeah. He was really good in this. So good. I kind of forgot what a great actor Mickey Rourke was. <laughs> so good. Uh, and then, you know, Diane Lane has that great, um, one of my first crushes was mm -hmm. Diane Lane from The Outsiders. Mm -hmm. Still so beautiful. But, mm -hmm. um, she has that great line when uh, she's talking to Rusty James and he says something about wanting to be cool like his brother. And she's like, you're better than cool. You're warm. Mm. And it was such a good line. And he he just couldn't wrap his head around yeah. that. Yeah. No, he's too, he's got all that, you know, rage. Yeah. I got to prove myself. Yeah. yeah. Damn it. But yeah. Really tragic too because he's, I mean, this is one of those movies where, uh, although in the ending, it's a semi-victorious uh, ending in that he finally makes his way to the ocean, and they have that great shot in silhouette of him mm -hmm. with the seagulls. That's great. But um, you hope, as a viewer, like, you hope that that marked a turn in his life. Yeah. Because he was headed toward his father's life. Right. Of just a drunk guy in Tulsa. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, I, I parallel that. To my own life, because I wound up in California, mm -hmm. you know, and I think, you know, it's, it's not everyone's story, but it's a lot of people's story. Um, sure. Artists that 
go to a major city, whether it be New York or, or LA, mm -hmm. but they're on the coasts and they're on the edge of the, the world, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You're out, you're there looking out over the ocean and there's something that opens up within yourself or it did for me. Right. And, um, I'd always thought I'd wind up in New York cause mm -hmm. that's where I was born. And I related to the bands yeah. and the movies mm -hmm. from, from the East coast. And, um, but I wound up in California. Right. And, um, you know, I remember taking, uh, route one down sunset Boulevard, take the bus from, from La Brea mm -hmm. and just go West on the bus all the way to the Pacific Palisades yep. and get dropped off there. And I'd walk along the coast to Santa Monica Boulevard mm -hmm. and take it back. And you could do those kind of things in your early twenties, Yeah, you know, <laughs> just take a whole day. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's the other beauty of Rumblefish is uh -huh. this, when you have that kind of time, right. You know, and he talks, he references time a lot in the movie. A lot. And you have Clocks that. Are all over the place. Yeah. You have that great line from, from Tom Waits, oh, you know. Geez, Tom Waits showed up. Yeah. He shows up and gives you this, yeah, you think you have all this time. Mm -hmm. And then you realize, ah, I just got 35 more summers. Oh God, dude. That, just 35 summers. That, that line like, <laughs> was like a gut punch last yeah. night when I, when I heard it. Yeah. It's different now. Some, it's right? way different now. So you're in your. Cause I don't have 35, I'm 47. So yeah, I'm just turned 55. Yeah. So. If we, I don't know if I have 35 more summers nope. even. So <laughs> I'm on the countdown. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. That, there was a lot of gut punches in this movie. Yeah. Um, but a lot of great lines. Like the other one that stood out to me was, um. And kind of underscored kind of what a dummy that Rusty James was is uh -huh. when Mickey Rourke says that he asked him if he went to the ocean. He went, no, California got in the way. Yeah. And he's he like, just, he didn't get it at yeah, all. Yeah. But, you know, he, yeah. was, he was operating on a, a slightly different level than his little brother. Yeah. Uh, well, I have my own history in Tulsa. I adopted my daughter there oh, three great. years ago. So wow, three summers ago, and, and the birth mom was late by almost two weeks. So mm -hmm. we spent... About three and a half weeks in Tulsa, wow. three summers ago, and uh -huh. um, having never been there, wow. and it all came together very fast. Within uh -huh. like a few weeks' time, mm -hmm. we were just there, sure. and uh, we stayed at a uh, at an in an apartment, an Airbnb, and I think they call it the East Village area now, mm -hmm. which seems fairly newish. I don't even know if it was a thing mm -hmm. probably back then, mm -hmm. but um, not sure. Got to know the bars in that on that block, <laughs> yeah. From from stress drinking, uh -huh. and you know tried to. It was it's a very stressful situation. And I imagine I just imagine. like there is no easy way to get a baby, whether you have mm -hmm. it yourself or, yeah. or adopt or whatever. But um, we uh, tried to take in what we could of Tulsa while we were there, mm -hmm. and uh, grew to appreciate it. You know, we we went to the Woody Guthrie Museum, which is great, awesome, and uh, toured some of the saw the Frank Lloyd Wright uh, house. That's very in cool. Tulsa, yeah. And tried to go on some walks in other neighborhoods, and mm -hmm. we would just drive to whatever cool neighborhood we heard of, and we would walk. There's a. How about the Philbrook Art Museum? Did you happen to go yes, to that? Was there? Yeah. Um, beautiful. Did not get beautiful the canes. Parts. Uh, we we wanted to the, mm -hmm. the legendary music venue. Yeah. Because uh, Jason Isbell was playing while we were very there. cool. So we were on standby uh -huh. that day for like a hospital trip, so mm -hmm. I couldn't go, but I saw him. At a cafe eating lunch. And so I had to go Amazing. over. I was like, hey, man, yeah. I'm just a huge fan. And 
He's like, you coming I'm tonight? I'm getting ready to be a father. <laughs> <laughs> I did. He said, you yeah. coming tonight? I was like, well, I can't because, you know, yeah. I gave him the quick version, but uh-huh. he, was, he was a real sweet guy. That's great. Uh, and we did not get to go to a minor league baseball game. That's the other kind of fun thing you can do there now. Yeah. It's a cool stadium kind of right there right. downtown. That came way after I'd left, but. Yeah. Yeah. But it's an interesting place. It really is. And you think about the, the musical history, too. Yeah. You know, J.J. Kale, uh-huh. Leon Russell. Roy Clark. Yeah. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, it's really, I guess it's just that right the smack dab in the middle of the country, mm-hmm. you know, that it was a stop off. Yeah. And uh, and I think it had some money, you know, it had, it had its oil boom. Yeah. We went through some of those neighborhoods on walks. It's incredible, it's, isn't it? Yeah. Really amazing houses. Sheesh. Yeah. That's that's like where the Philbrook Art Museum is. Uh-huh. And, oh, yeah. Philbrook. That's totally where we went. Yeah. Uh-huh. Nice that's my sister. Works there. Oh, she's, really? She's been there for like over 20 years, I think. Yeah. Well, we may have met her. Yeah, you could have. <laughs> you could have. there a couple of times. Yeah, it's a, it's really an interesting and beautiful city mm-hmm. and has, it has a great history. Um, my father came home from work one day and uh, asked us kids if we'd ever heard of who Leon Russell. Mm-hmm. Do you kids know who Leon Russell is? <laughs> My sister went through the roof. Of course, you know, he's yeah, amazing. Yeah, because she played the piano. Yeah, well, she, she had his records. Mm-hmm. And uh, and he was like, well, I sold sold him two Steinway Grands, nine-foot Steinway Grands today. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I guess they kind of hit it off. Not They weren't like buddies or mm-hmm. anything. But uh, he would have my dad tune his piano um, occasionally, That's every so cool. often. And um, so we have we have the Leon Russell connection, uh-huh. and um, you have this amazing drummer uh, Jamie Oldacre who played with uh, with JJ Kale and Leon Russell, and um, it's just an amazing. He just he had this incredible groove that became kind of the Tulsa sound mm-hmm. that uh, that Eric Clapton heard and totally stole. I yeah. mean. Stole, what a, however you want to put it. He was inspired by it. Eric Clapton was inspired by a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> inspired and, you know, made, mm-hmm. made it his own. Mm-hmm. But uh, and with all due respect to J.J. Kale, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure J.J. Kale didn't mind cocaine becoming a huge hit. Yeah. Or After Midnight or any of those songs. But anyway, it's, it, it really all comes together with that movie for me. Um, all those memories and uh and it was really fun to watch it again here later in life yeah you know, like, takes, it's one of those that takes on a different meaning i'm sure it really really does and i kind of want to i was going to revisit the outsiders but it didn't hit me like rumblefish did and uh-huh. i guess a lot of it had to do with Stuart copeland and he doing the soundtrack yeah let's talk about that a sec because uh-huh. he um it's a really interesting score mm-hmm. um it's uh, uh it's going to say it's very percussive, which sounds redundant. Yeah, but it is. Yeah, and uh, he really has. A, he he almost keeps the tempo of the movie, mm-hmm. um, and 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 drives that like sense of urgency as it goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very interesting soundtrack. Yeah, and the the melodic parts too uh-huh. are are eerie and uh, very edgy. Yeah, um, and a little bit comical too, which mm-hmm. is kind of plays into Rusty James's like, I don't know what's going on, you know, what, what's going on, mm-hmm. you know, what, 
You know, he says what a lot and why, <laughs> why, what and why. Mm-hmm. And uh, you hear that in the music. You really do. And um, yeah, it's just, you know, and that's kind of the height of their careers too. Uh, the police were really big then. Yeah. I think. Uh, maybe Ghost in the Machine or. Yeah. I mean, that was right at the sort of the pinnacle kind yeah. of pre. Uh, Synchronicity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And. um. And it just made you, made me realize, wow, I got, I got so much more to learn as a musician. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't just be a drummer, you know? Yeah. I, so if I'm going to live up to one of my idols, I've got to learn. I've got to sit at the piano a lot more. Yeah. You know? And then I need to pick up the guitar and do you see, play it? Do you see, play everything? See, I do. I mean, I, I play a lot of the stuff on the early, um, early Calexico records, oh, the, really? the vibes and the marimba and the accordion oh, cool. and, and all that stuff. But as the band grew, it's like, well, I want, you know, I want Martin, Martin's playing great accordion and, and, you know, they all started learning the parts mm-hmm. to play the songs live. And then they were learning the instruments themselves. And, and it's great to have them play the instruments in yeah. the studio. It's just not Joey and I, right. We're a band now. It's, there's other guys and, but uh, yeah, it broadened broadened my scope a lot, mm-hmm. and um, there, you know, drumming is an art in of itself. It's not I'm just the drummer, but it's great to explore those other instruments. Yeah, you know, and uh, especially the vibes and the marimba, and because they they are basically a keyboard, and but giant. It's like a giant sized keyboard. Uh huh. So you it made it easier for me to understand how melody falls over chord progressions. Yeah. I, I, it doesn't make sense to me on a guitar. I don't, I don't know how that happens mm-hmm. on a guitar. It just seems like I, my mind just doesn't work that way. I'm a rusty James on the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> Do you and Joey write uh, together still everything? Or? Yeah. No, not everything. How, how does that work? Well, I, Joey's, I think he's, He's always been a great songwriter, but mm. he's developed more and more into like a singer songwriter where yeah. he's, he's coming up with the, the lyrics and melody and it's all coming up at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of how singer songwriters get their, their songs together. And he's really developed that a lot. Um, in the early days, it was more like, you know, just, uh, Joey on guitar, me on the drums mm-hmm. and. And we just start a dialogue. You know, I got this groove or I got this one progression. We used to um, exchange ideas on phone machines. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, I was like, so I had this really something on the, on the phone yeah, and yeah. knowing that he's, re- <laughs> it's recording on his machine. Mm-hmm. It's because I didn't want to forget it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And so it's, it's on tape at least. Yeah, it's on tape. <laughs> and now, of course, we have our, our cell phones and you can record anything you want anytime. Yeah. That's kind of nice. Yeah. It's really nice. And it, he it really helped on this last record because he's, he's a father now. Uh-huh. He's got seven year old uh, twin daughters and, Oh wow. You know, it's, it's hard to, to juggle it all. Yeah. Fam to be the family man and mm-hmm. the, the musician and the road guy too. So, um, he was getting a lot of his ideas on the cell phone mm-hmm. 
while he's cooking breakfast and getting the girls ready for school. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, so he, he, he'd play me ideas. He plays me ideas and, oh yeah, I could, I could work that in. And, and, um, but for this new record, yeah, he had a lot of the, the, the basic song ideas done. Mm-hmm. Where'd you record the new one? At uh, Panoramic House in uh, Stinson Beach. Oh, I know Northern. about that place. Yeah, it's amazing. Holy cow. Yeah. So is, is you record there because you can, right? <laughs> I mean, well, we got a... Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. We got a great deal. Um, the, the owner is really good friends with Craig Schumacher, who's been our uh, co-producer and mm-hmm. engineer for, for all the records. And um, it was, uh, we were going to be recording in the summer. So we thought about... Um, the studio outside of El Paso, Sonic Ranch. Mm-hmm. And then there's our, our own studio that we work in a lot in Tucson. But, you know, when it gets into triple digits, yeah. it's just like, it's brutal. Yeah, yeah. And um, the thought of being right there on the Pacific Coast. Man, that place and, is unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I'm my drums are set up right, you know, in front of this giant window uh-huh. overlooking the, the tide coming in yeah. and the fog coming in. and the the deer walking by and the seagulls and the fog and the rain. And I'm sure that informs the, the record, right? I, I really believe it did. Mm-hmm. You know, the song, uh, the town of Miss Lorraine Great was written song. up there uh-huh. and it, it was like this gift, you yeah. know, it was like the gate opened up and, and, you know, from that moment on, we were, we were on a roll, mm-hmm. you know, thrown to the wild. Uh, some of the instrumentals came out there. Yeah. Um, lots of gifts you know where you know the the recording and the writing and the basic foundation of the song was all happening at once mm-hmm. it wasn't like oh can we do that again that was really great it was like nope yeah we i already got it yeah you know we that's, already have it that's cool to be i think at this point in your career too to still be open to experience and mm-hmm. uh and to not i think it would be easy it just as an outsider, it seems like it would be easy to just go in and be not rigid, but like, all right, let's, this is the new Colexico record. Mm-hmm. We've got the songs written. Mm-hmm. Let's go bang them out in the studio yeah. and do a great job. But it sounds like you guys were really open to, um, like once you got there even. Yeah, absolutely. changing things up a little. Yeah. You got to roll those dice and, and leave it open. And um, like I was mentioning before, yeah, the, the soundtrack work is... It's somewhat easier because you have this direction, you mm. have the scene to write to. And um, when you're in the studio, you really don't have, you have to like kind of either pull it out of the air mm-hmm. um, or you're inspired by your environment. And I think, yeah. you know, when Joey picked up that guitar, it had this feel to it, to him, you know, like a, like a sixties folk song, mm-hmm. like a, like a Leonard Cohen or Joni Mitchell kind of feel. Yeah. And then he's walking around outside and it's like the beginning of a Wes Anderson movie, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> uh, and he's like totally inspired. Yeah. And um, it wouldn't have happened in Tucson. Yeah. Something else would have happened. But but yeah, I mentioned Wes Anderson. I mean, we, we, we're really inspired by uh-huh. movies a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's the he's the best. You know, the Cohen brothers had a lot to do with uh, 
maybe the black light and uh-huh. some of feast of wire and um what's what's that um composer's name um i think it's burkwell or Car- carter burwell yeah yeah carter burwell yeah that, talk uh, about simplicity yeah we i had one of my previous guests did uh, miller's crossing and nice that uh that score is just like one of the all-time <laughs> greats yeah and again yeah like you said that uh much like dead man the 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 score for um Miller's Crossing has that one little, yeah, little bit mm-hmm. that he just does in a variety of ways, right? Uh, you know, loud and soft, music swells, music fades, yeah, but it's just so effective, yeah, yeah. The uh, the Cohen Brothers' take on um, No Country for Old Men, mm. so great, big big Cormac McCarthy fans, yeah, me too, and uh, so yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, that's one of the um that's one of the few books that really like I was kind of a hundred percent on that movie. Yeah. He, they just yeah. nailed it. They did. They really did. Is blood Meridian ever going to be a movie? Oh. <laughs> I know they've tried various. Yeah. It's been attached to various people over the years, but I like I wouldn't go one. see uh, all the pretty horses just cause. Oh really? Yeah. I wouldn't go see you it. Know, I don't think I saw that one either. I'm just, I love that book too much. <laughs> Yeah, I don't trust anybody with it. No, I know that feeling. Or ask the dust. Mm-hmm. The John Fonte book was made into a movie, and I'm like, "There's no way I'm going to watch that." That's just yeah. That book means too much to me. Don't fuck it up. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right, we can finish up here with a couple of segments. Okay. Um, I finish up with one called uh, "What Ebert Said," and then five questions. Okay. This movie is a complete disappointment. I always like to go back and see what uh, Roger Ebert thought of these films. And uh, Rumblefish, it got mixed reviews at the time. I mean, uh-huh. a lot of people, it was a very brave, arty movie. I mean, I think right. Coplay even called it an art film for teenagers. Mm-hmm. And um, also, shout out to Sophia Coppola, a little young Sophia. Domino. I know. I didn't even realize it. Uh, yeah. My wife and I were watching it last night. We were like, oh, my God. That's little her. Sophia. I know. Right She's there. so great, too. She was maybe her best acting performance. <laughs> As a and kid. introducing Domino, and I was like, "Wait a minute," because uh-huh. I was looking for her name. Yeah, but uh, she had those big adult-sized teeth and that little yep. kid mouth. Yeah, <laughs> it was very cute, super cute. Uh, but a brave movie for him to make at the time. Um, a lot of critics didn't like it and didn't mm-hmm. get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think of. As nothing but brave. Yeah, um, he really rolled the dice. He mm-hmm. was clearly not. Well, I don't know about clearly not concerned about making a commercial movie because he expressed great disappointment that it, teenagers didn't flock to it like they did outsiders. Right. Um, but he was trying to give them something more to chew on. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, but Ebert did like it. He gave it three and a half out of four stars. Great. And he said, this is a movie you are likely to hate unless you can love it for its crazy feverish charm. And uh, it's all style and flash, all emotion and impact. And it doesn't slow down for the usual items of business. It lays a weird-looking experimental film style on top of a fair, uh, fairly basic story about hoods and street gangs. And if you care how the story turns out, you're in the wrong movie. I thought Rumblefish was offbeat, daring, and utterly original. Great. Yeah, it, it was interesting. I mean, it wasn't. Um, it didn't have like a traditional narrative arc. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was sort of a, just a slice of this kid's life mm-hmm. and what happens in this moment in times feels like what, like a week maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I think I have to disagree with, I think, I think there is a lot 
going on there with the family though. And I think he's making a, a really deep statement about family. Like, yeah. Like how important it is. Well, and he says about not caring about, yeah. uh, like, I don't agree with that either. Yeah. I cared a great deal. And it was very too. tragic in the end. <laughs> really tragic. When Motorcycle Boy is um, murdered yeah. by that cop. Yeah. Off screen. Right. I think in the book, I read a little bit about the differences in the book. S.E. Hinton, it was supposedly a warning shot. Mm-hmm. But um, Rusty James knew, like, the real yeah. truth. Yeah. But they don't even spell it out in, in the movie. He's just yeah. dead. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's it's really deep. And it made me, made me think about, you know, my relationship to my father and mm-hmm. my brother. I have an older brother too. Yeah. I idolize. So it's yeah. sort of all there. It's all, it's all there, mm-hmm. you know? And then, you know, for me, it was my, my, the divorce, you know, mm-hmm. my mom wasn't there and I was just hanging with my dad and he was kind of, you know, a little bit wild. Yeah. You know, I mean, he was the musician and. Yeah, so I think there's there's a lot to chew on there and, and a lot of really great acting. Yeah. You know, and you get to see Nicolas Cage yeah. as a young man. Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, in that very first scene, it's like, wait, there's Chris Penn. Yeah, Chris Penn. And there's Penn. Nick Cage. Yeah. And Vincent Spano. Right. And then, is that Tom Waits behind the I bar? Know, I know, I know. Super skinny Tom bar. Waits. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a pretty impactful first scene. And then, oh, Matt Dillon, yeah. you know, holding this thing down as a, as a teen heartthrob at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. And, I mean, Coppola, I could see where, yeah, he would be disappointed. I mean, it's, but it holds up. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I heard, a, I saw an interview with him about The Godfather and, and how he was saying, well, yeah, when you make something and it, you, you hope that in 25 years it'll, it'll still be. Mm-hmm great to, to watch and, and he felt like his movie The Godfather had held up yeah and I think it still holds up well he loves I think he he rates out, uh, uh, Rumblefish as one of his five favorites of his own did you ever see uh, I might be saying the name wrong I think it's Tetro no you gotta see it the other black he, black and white film it's so good Vincent Gallo yeah I, I will check I've that out I've only seen it once I saw it in the movie theater uh huh and I just walked away, like, loving that movie. And really? And just was like, and then I was talking to friends, have you seen the Coppola movie and the new Coppola? No, nobody's seen it. Yeah, it really flew under the radar. It's really cool. I mean, he's... I have to revisit that He's one. a true artist. Yeah. And he, he's making, always, I think, made movies that he felt like were works of art. Mm-hmm. And talk about holding up, I mean, Rumblefish certainly fares better than any other teen movie from 1986 oh yeah. <laughs> 83 oh yeah 83 yeah of course wow. you know yeah for sure if you want to throw it in that you can't even lump it into that it's just no. not even close no they weren't no it's really i mean it's a it's a i mean dennis hopper i just yeah and in such a small role yeah and there's just larry so fishburne. meaty yeah young larry fishburne that's right post-apocalypse now yeah uh but still young skinny larry fishburne yep. i forgot he was in that first scene Shh. Pretty great stuff. It really is. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, 
It's got standard third row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. All right, so we'll finish with five questions. Uh, First movie you remember seeing in the movie theater? I love that. Because I so totally remember it. Mm-hmm. So I was born in on Long Island uh, in New York. And um, I'll never forget this. One day, my mom rounded all of us kids together, threw us into the station wagon, and drove us down to Manhattan, or up to Manhattan, mm-hmm. to Radio City Music Hall. Oh, wow. And we saw True Grit. Oh, wow. Because my mom was a huge Glenn Campbell fan. Uh-huh. We used to watch the Glenn Campbell show. Yeah. And she was so excited to see Glenn Campbell in a movie. And um, One of the great underrated guitar players of all time. Oh, man. Or I don't know underrated, but I think to most people that like, oh, the rhinestone cowboy guy. Right. Well, yeah, they think of him as a singer. Yeah, but they don't he realize was, he was he, so smoking hot on the guitar. Yeah, he was a session player. Yeah. He was badass. And... um so, yeah, so there we are at the Radio City Music Hall with the, with the, the dancers mm-hmm. and the organ, and it was just magical. Yeah. And then, like, as a, I think I must have been like five, five or six, mm-hmm. totally remember this. In the middle of the movie, I get really thirsty. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just like dying of thirst, and I start bugging my mom, you know, really thirsty. <laughs> She doesn't want to leave. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't want to leave the movie. And she goes, just hold on. And, it, you know, it'll be over soon. And like, I'm really thirsty. And then I <laughs> nudge my sister. And, I'm really thirsty. She was like, well, I have milk duds. <laughs> the milk in them will. <laughs> the worst thing you can have <laughs> if you're thirsty, probably. So I, t- I ate a couple of milk duds and then I'm really dying. And she finally 
my mom relents and she picks me. I remember her picking me up and taking me to the water fountain, drinking the water. And I'm, I'm telling this whole story only to, because, you know, fast forward to my adult life. Mm-hmm. Um, we're opening, Calexico's opening up for Andrew Bird, mm-hmm. the Radio City musical. Oh, neat. This is the second time, this is only the second time I've ever been there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm there at the Radio City Music Hall and remembering all that. Yeah. And like walking around the balcony and it's like, this is pretty much where we sat. Uh-huh. This is the water fountain she dragged me to. It's all the same. Uh-huh. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And. Uh, That's great. And I remember the, and the, the stage manager took me downstairs and showed me the organ. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you see this hydraulic system for the stage? This was the first of its kind. And worldwide um, theaters were copying this. And it's the same one. It's still working to this day. Man. From 1930, whatever it was. Maybe 20s. So cool. Yeah. It was It was really a great experience. Is that the only time you played there? Yeah. Maybe Hopefully, it should be. Yeah, maybe it should be. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I wish no, you had really. a thousand more performances. No, there. no, no. <laughs> That's a great story. Yeah. Uh, do you remember the first R-rated movie that you saw? I do. And so um, my brother and my dad, uh, they got to go see The Godfather when it came out, but mm-hmm. I was too young and they thought it was, it was too, too much for me to see. So um, as soon as I could, that was the first R-rated movie I saw. Oh, really? Yeah. I, as far as I can remember. Uh-huh. Because I couldn't, I couldn't wait to see it. And, um, Such a great movie. Yeah. Talk about holding up. No kidding. I mean, I pretty much have it memorized, but... Yeah, I mean, I'll I, I still watch it, you know, every <laughs> couple of fishes, years. you know. Yeah, so good. Yeah. I'm surprised no one's picked that one for the show yet, but I'm sure it's coming. Yeah. Well, it was one of my first choices I, I thought of. Mm-hmm. Cause I just love it. And it's, it's the Italian American story. And yeah. It's my father. And I, I, you know, he, after seeing it, he was like, Oh yeah. I remember cousins. Mm-hmm. He had a cousin that really reminded him of Sonny. Uh-huh. Um, so I guess my grandmother was more Northern Italian, mm-hmm. had red hair. And, and um, my grandfather was from Bari, which is Southern, right. Southern Italian, not Sicilian, uh-huh. but there's a whole story where the mafia, um, confronted my dad, not confronted him, but mm-hmm. they asked him because he had a music school. Mm-hmm. They wanted to use his music school as a front. Oh my God. Yeah. Because it was like, nobody, Island? this is in Long Island uh-huh. in the basement of our house. We had this beautiful basement and he had two, three classrooms down there and it was violin, um, guitar and accordion mm-hmm. and piano. And, um, they thought it was perfect. No one's, no one's going to suspect this little music school where all these kids are coming in and out of <laughs> running drugs through there. It's the perfect front. Yeah. And my dad was just like, music cases are perfect for yeah. carrying drugs. <laughs> my dad's just like, no way. There's absolutely no way. Yeah. And, um, they were like, okay, we respect that, but here's a number in case you right. need anything. Well, at least they didn't go, are you sure? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Give you the night I don't to know. About you it. know, we lived in a really pretty house. Maybe uh, <laughs> there's another story. Maybe here. there's another, there's an underground story there. But uh, yeah. That's great. Yeah. That's, that's some real deal shit right there. Yeah. Uh, will you walk, number three, will you walk out of a bad movie? I have. Do you remember one? I do. 
And it's the only one I've walked out of. Oh, okay. And it, it was, um, I, I think I, I don't even remember the title, um, but it was the one about a tornado that like, they kind of make the tornado. Twister? Yeah, it must've been Twister. Yeah, I walked with, out of With that. Bill Paxton? Maybe, yeah. I just, uh, as soon as I saw like the, the twister like get a face you know, like they cg'd a face in it and like it made this sound like oh uh, no no probably not twister probably a different one it was bad if there was a face in it yeah bad <laughs> 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 so you're out of there that's a good decision i think yeah it's just like and you know i'm i'm a i'm a staunch believer in like you pay the money you're in the theater you know just hang in there with it mm. and at least enjoy the popcorn and right. the escapism, but mm. this was just so bad. Yeah. I couldn't stand it. Oh, actually it reminds me of a second one. Um, my wife and I went to, I think it was Neighbors. It's a more recent movie. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, with uh, the Seth Rogen movie? Yeah. Yeah, you I, couldn't, that one? I, I could We were both just like, oh my God, this is awful. It's mm -hmm. just, this is not our world right. anymore. It just, <laughs> this is really dating me and yeah. my wife, I uh -uh. think, but... <laughs> We were just like, no, I can't stand another minute of this. It's just not funny, and it's just gross, and just make making me think really bad things. Yeah. So did you go home and stream uh, on Golden Pond? Yeah, no, not quite, but we were both just really relieved yeah. to be out of there. Yeah, sometimes that's the right move yeah. these days. Yeah, for sure. Um, this is a uh, specifically written for for you in this case. I usually mix it up on number four. Mm -hmm. uh, what movie score do you wish you had written? Oh wow! Well, that which is sort of another way of saying what might be your favorite. Yeah, that's a really tough one, huh? Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I just think of my favorite movies. I guess you know I mentioned No Country for Old Men, mm -hmm. which is. I'm a great lover of books, and so a really great adaptation with a really great soundtrack. Um, you have that. You have well. I just recently watched um, Barton Fink. Oh God, what a great movie! Which I think is just a, such a badass movie. Talk yeah. about going deep. Yeah, you know. I saw that. Uh, that came out when I was in college, and uh, I was an English major. My buddies and I. We probably watched that thing 25 times that year. Yeah. And for me, watching that, revisiting that one, mm -hmm. I realized, oh, he's talking about listening. Mm -hmm. The whole thing is about people not listening to each other. Yeah. And how relevant is that today mm -hmm. when we're staring into these little screens? You know, we're not like you and I, we've been looking at each other and uh -huh. talking, having this great time. Mm -hmm. How Often does that happen anymore? I know. Maybe that's why I started the show. I don't even know. But <laughs> good yeah, move. Good, Goodman has that at the end. Yeah. And he literally screams at him. You yeah. don't listen. Yeah. It's like you come into uh -huh. my house. Yeah. Telling me about how you know about the common man, mm -hmm. the hardworking man. And you don't, you don't even hear one of my stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's wow, good stuff. Chills. Yeah. Great movie. Yeah. Head in a box, too. Yeah. It's always a good way to end a film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. And finally, uh, movie going 101. When you get out to the to the theater, what's your ritual like? You, where do you sit? Where do you get yeah. at the concession stand? I, I mean, if it wasn't for popcorn, mm -hmm. you know, I may just 
stay at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just love popcorn. So it's a big bucket of popcorn. Butter? Uh, not too much, but yeah, some. Salt. Salt mm-hmm. and grease. Mm-hmm. Love it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I like to go for the prime seat in the middle mm-hmm. if I can get it. And normally, if it's something I really want to see, I would uh, prefer to go alone. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm big on that. Um, sometimes it's date nights are fun with the wife, mm-hmm. but it's, it's, as soon as you go with someone, you start to feel like you're, it's a shared experience, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could be really loving a per- certain part and that per- other person isn't getting it or, mm-hmm. and I, I want to love it a hundred percent. I want to mm-hmm. know that on your I, own terms. Yeah. And Recently, I got to see the um, the Blade Runner sequel mm-hmm. all alone. Did you like it? I loved it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and I was all alone in the theater too. I think I was the only one. It was a matinee, and mm-hmm. I live in El Paso now. And you know, I don't think people go to matinees in a weekday mm-hmm. in El Paso very often. And, <laughs> and it was just, it was delicious. It was yeah. like, wow, that's cool. It's such a feast. Mm-hmm. That's just such a great escapism movie. You know, just yeah. Like, let yourself, let your mind just go there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was a big fan of the first one too. Yeah, I was living man. in LA, you know, it was right when I moved to LA. And Talk about a great score. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, I've been jealous. Yeah. Yeah, and for the new one, it he um, combines it with Zimmerman, Hans Zimmerman. Mm, right. So the, a lot of those big, deep tones, the brrr, mm. you know, just big, giant bass notes. Yeah. So ominous. What was the last, the name of the last cut on your last album? The, the, the slow one. Uh, that was, uh, Vanishing Mind. Yes. Yeah. That one, uh, cause you said low tone yeah. and when that first came out, I, I re-listened to that song probably 10 times in a row. Wow. It was one of those things where at the very end, it finishes with that low tone mm-hmm. and it goes lower and lower yeah. and just when you think it is at its lowest point you guys hit it with that last fucking uh, like yeah. rumble and i got to see you do that tour live in uh in new york at uh what's the webster hall or? We, uh webster hall yeah yeah and uh and you guys did that one live there because that nice. was when i was like oh there's no way they're gonna do this one live because it's you know such a slow song and stuff right but uh yeah man that low tone it just is like right in the gut that was kind of our good stuff. Our nod to Gustav Mahler. Okay, we're. I'm a huge Mahler fan. Mm-hmm. Joey's. He's kind of like, yeah, yeah. I like some of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when we when we were figuring out the scoring that string part, like what the hell? Take it down another octave. Go all the I way. I didn't know it could get that low. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we actually wound up having to mix it. I don't know if I should tell all the secrets. Joey always, he's, he's always an open book. He tells all the secrets. Uh-huh. I'm always like, man, don't tell. <laughs> hold you know, a little just, back. You know, you know, yeah, hold back a little bit. Let the mystery, let them, let per- perpetrate the myth a little bit, uh-huh. right? So that really low note, I don't think you can go that low with the, uh, with stringed instruments. So we doubled it with a synthesizer okay. that could go that low. I wondered about that. Yeah, yeah. But we did do it. If you, I don't know if you're familiar with Spiritoso. It's a record we did with, uh, with, uh, was that 
I think it was right after, um, right after Edge of the Sun. No, Algiers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Algiers. Yeah. All right. I'm getting was it a confused. collaboration. Yeah, so it's with. Um, we had some of our songs scored for for orchestra, and I then know this. Um, when Algiers came out, we had a few more the Vanishing Mind, mm-hmm. and a few more off that record. Um, done, and um, then we did a concert with the Vienna Radio Orchestra and the Berlin Radio oh, Orchestra, man. and um, again, a very hot seat playing mm-hmm. with a seventy-piece yeah symphonic <laughs> orchestra. <laughs> With timpanis and shit behind you, and, mm-hmm. and you know, conductors in tuxedos and and you know, real musicians. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so you did Vanishing Mind uh, with them, yeah, and that was an, an amazing moment. Yeah, amazing. Oh, I got to check that out. Yeah, so not just one double bass, but you know, like five <sighs> basses going all the way wow. down. Amazing. Yeah, very cool. It was really cool. All right. Thanks, man. Yeah, my pleasure, Chuck. It was Chuck. a lot of fun. That was. This was. Thanks. All right. Well, thanks for coming in. I'll see you tonight. All right. All right, everybody. I think you could tell I enjoyed that one. I had a grin on my face most of the time because not only was I able to uh, sit down with one of my, my musical heroes with John, but he... Uh, we really hit it off. I think I have a, sort of a new pal. Maybe when he comes to Atlanta next time, we'll hang out a bit. Uh, he picked Rumblefish, as you can tell. He had a lot of connections there uh, with Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, with his his family story, having an older brother and, and his father. And um, and Stuart Copeland is the cherry on top as a drummer doing the score. Kind of all came together, and it's really no surprise why he picked Rumblefish. And his insight on it was really great. Had a good time talking to him. And like he said in the, in the podcast, it's really something to just sit down and speak with someone, even someone you don't know for an hour and 15 minutes and not look at your phone and just look at each other eye to eye. Doesn't happen anymore. So uh, maybe that's why I started the show like I told him. Uh, and he is a very sweet guy because I actually got the album wrong at the very end when I was talking about the song with the deep rumble. And I said it was from his last album. It was actually two albums ago. Uh, it's on Algiers. Uh, the Vanishing Mind, not The Edge of the Sun. Uh, but he didn't call me out because he's a nice guy. I ended up going to the show uh, that night, like I said. He was kind enough to put uh, me and Emily and Scotty on the guest list. And we all went. And we got backstage and we got to meet all the dudes and have a little post-show hang. And uh, like I said before, the the crowd, uh, it was a Monday night, man. And those Monday night shows are tough. But by the end of the show, people are dancing, having a good time. I've seen those dudes turn a Monday night into a Friday night more than once. So uh, if you have never seen Calexico live, I highly, highly recommend you do so. Um, even if you don't know their music well, like take a flyer. They're one of these bands that you go see live, even if you don't know, and you leave and you're like buying stuff at the merch table because you're saying how great it was. Uh, so if you live in Phoenix or L.A. or Solano Beach, California, San Francisco, Portland, Vancouver, Seattle, Salt Lake City, Boulder, Santa Fe, then you can go see Calexico in June. Highly recommend you doing so. And hey, hang out after and tell John that Chuck sent you. That'd be kind of cool. And also as a quick follow-up, we were talking backstage, that really sweet story about his nephew uh, selling him his cymbal. 
uh, we were talking backstage about it and I was telling Emily and I said, how old is he anyway? And he said he's uh, 23 or 24 years old. And I kind of laughed because I thought he was clearly like 12 or 13. And we all laughed. And I said, well, John, that story just got way less cute. Uh, and uh, he thought that was pretty funny. So big thanks to John Convertino and, and Joey Burns for having us after. And uh, John for coming in here. Great conversation on Rumblefish. Um, go see Colexco in a city near you. And until next time, maybe go buy some drumsticks of your own. Get a bucket or some pots and pans and start making some noise. Movie Crush is produced, edited, engineered, and scored by Noel Brown from our podcast studio at Pond City Market, Atlanta, Georgia. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at First, first Listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.